My name's Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here, and it's so good to be together tonight. Our story tonight is actually going to be from that passage that Kim read earlier from Genesis, the story of Noah and the ark. So if there are kids listening, and if you guys have something to draw with or to create with, I would love to invite you to draw something from this story, particularly to think about what might be like the weirdest or coolest or smelliest or noisiest animal that you can imagine being on that ark and draw that. And then later when we exchange the piece and we all wave to one another, if you want to hold up what you drew and show us, we would love to see it. Well, this is the second Sunday in a season that we call in the church Eastertide. It's 50 days long, so it outlasts Lent, and it goes from Easter to Pentecost. And it's supposed to be like this big celebration of our resurrection life. In Eastertide, normally we feast. We eat and drink all of the good stuff that we gave up for Lent. We fill the church with flowers and colors and alleluias. We sing all the most joyful hymns. And we read these great scriptures. But for the most part, this year, Eastertide doesn't feel like that. It actually feels like more Lent. Because last Sunday, after we said our alleluias and rang our bells, as glorious as that was, we logged off of Zoom and we went back into quarantine. And we see people now lining the streets in our neighborhoods and around the world seeking food. We're watching financial systems fall apart and infection rates rise. And it just doesn't feel very Eastery. It actually feels a lot more like that ark story that Kim read, where Noah and his family had been sheltered in place on the ark for a long time for nearly a year. And today in the reading, they're wondering, is it safe to come out? Is it safe to reopen the world? And so Noah sends this raven out. It goes out scanning the earth, no doubt just looking for signs of death, for some kind of carcass probably floating on the water that it can eat. And then Noah sends a dove out three times scanning the earth, just looking for any sign that the waters are going away, that things are green and growing, that normal is coming back. And in some sense, we're all doing that right now. We're all sending out these ravens and doves. We're all scanning the death counts and the exponential curves, the headlines and the ventilator stockpiles. We're all wondering, is it safe? to come out yet. And this week in particular, we saw people tweeting and protesting, saying, liberate us from quarantine. People are desperate to get their old life back. And so this passage feels incredibly relevant. This really is what Eastertide feels like right now in 2020. More like an actual literal tide flowing underneath these quarantine arcs that we're in. And even though that doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel very Eastery, 
I want to suggest to us tonight that that's actually a lot closer to the experience of Jesus' disciples in their own Eastertide, in their own lives, their own season after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We just heard in John's Gospel how the disciples were locked away in a house in secret because they were afraid of persecution. We heard how when Jesus did come to them, he had wounds in his side and his hands, that even though he was resurrected, he still shows the marks of life in a violent world. And we heard Liz read a few minutes ago from 1 Peter, how Jesus' followers are being grieved by various trials and tested by fire. Resurrection life is good, it is joyful, but it's not always happy, and it's not always easy, and it really never has been. And the kind of ease and safety and security that we're pretty accustomed to, and that a lot of us, myself included, are mourning the loss of right now, they're actually pretty unusual in the experience of the church around the world and through all ages. And I wonder if it might be time to let go of some of that. Well, let's get into this ark story. And as we do, I want to invite you to call to your mind the feeling of wood. Imagine a time when wood was so close to your face that you could smell it, that you could touch it. You might remember your face, your cheek pressed against the slat of a chair at your grandmother's dining room table. You might remember the feeling of your forehead pressed against the wood of a desk at school when you were a kid. Maybe you've experienced the smell and the feel of sawdust settling in your hair and on your cheeks while someone cuts into a two by four near you. I think we all have some memory of that sense of wood touching our bare skin, of its solidity. And that feeling is something I want our bodies to hold on to as we get into this story tonight. Because now that we're living so much of our lives on screen and inside, it's easy to get disconnected from our physical bodies. It's easy to get disconnected from our senses and our nerve endings. These bodies that right now feel really fragile. And so I want us tonight in our fragile bodies to feel the nearness of wood feel the strength and the solidity of wood as we imagine being in that wooden ark with Noah. And Noah's story comes to us when the world is fresh and new. God has made the world and everything in it, and not long after, people have fallen into sin. And then a few generations have passed, but by the time we get to Noah, listen to what the scripture says, is the state of the world. This is reading from Genesis 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth was corrupt and full of violence, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. 
God sees that because of human sin, his creation is being devastated. But in response, he's not angered. God is grieved to his heart. God is not mad, he is sad. And in fact, the word here for grief, for grieved, is the same word that was used earlier in Genesis to describe the pain that women would feel in childbirth and the pain that people would experience in toiling and trying to grow things in the ground. This word for grief or pain is is the word of the consequence of the effects of sin. And here we see this remarkable thing that God chooses to step into it. God chooses to feel in his own heart the pain that his people are feeling in their bodies. God is grieved. God grieves with us. And God wants to set it right. So he goes to Noah and he tells him to build an ark. He gives him these detailed instructions. Noah gets to work. I think we all know the story. When the ark is finished, Noah and his family and the animals get in. God seals the door of the ark from the outside. And then it starts to rain until everything in the known world is underwater. But this ark is not really even a boat. The blueprints that God gave are basically just a big rectangle. It's a box. There's no rudder. There's no way to steer this thing. Aside from a little opening at the top, there are no windows. They don't know where they're going. And in fact, the word for ark in Hebrew probably comes from the Egyptian word for coffin. And that's what it feels like. Normally when we tell this story, especially to kids, we emphasize how huge the ark was. But this week, and it might just be the quarantine talking, I was really struck by how very small the ark must have felt floating in a world of water. Noah and his family and all the animals and just this one little shaft of light in this unsteerable coffin. How long are they going to be there? How long will they float along on the waves? Will their food hold out? Is there enough toilet paper? It's this picture of complete helplessness. And then after about a year like this, they sense things are changing. They think the rain has stopped. It feels like the waves are dying down. And so they send out the raven and then the doves and they wait and they wait, and eventually this big box runs aground on these mountains in eastern Turkey. And Noah and his family and the animals just tumble out. And you can imagine how they must have gasped to breathe in fresh air. How they must have almost been blinded to see sunlight again. What it must have felt like to put their feet on this soggy earth. And they stop there and they worship. And God sees them and he says this. 
He says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And then God puts a rainbow in the sky as a sign of this never again promise that he's making. And the image here is of a warrior king who is hanging up his bow. He's relinquishing his weapon. He's surrendering his right to destroy. And what's so interesting in the verse I just read is that the inclination of the human heart is still evil. The flood didn't fix the problem of sin. And I think we can all attest to that, or at least I can, the reality of sin, of greed and envy and selfishness and violence, certainly in our society, but also in ourselves. I know that in me, the longer we're in quarantine, the more I see it. The more I see how I just keep failing miserably to love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, much less to love my neighbor or my husband or my kids as myself. The flood didn't fix the human heart. What it did do, though, is it settled once and for all God's response to the evil in the world. God would grieve with us and enter our pain. God would set down his weapon. He would exercise restraint and boundless compassion. God would bring new life from what felt like a coffin. And one day, God would again use one man and a piece of wood to set in motion a new family and the restoration of all things. Well, the earliest Christians saw in this Noah story an allegory of salvation, a story that points to another story. In the New Testament books of 1st and 2nd Peter and of Hebrews, and the early church writers like St. Augustine, they all talk about this. They see in Noah this pattern of rescue, this pattern that's going to be repeated again and again in God's dealings with his people until it is ultimately and finally brought to complete fulfillment in Jesus. They saw in that coffin-like wood of the ark the death wood of the cross. And they saw in the waters of the flood the waters of baptism. And they saw in that rainbow promise just a glimpse of a creation that is at peace finally with its maker, a new creation that we all will one day inhabit. And so our truest hope now is trusting in the cross of Jesus, of holding really securely to that piece of wood so that we can pass safely through the waters of death to new life. Earlier I said I wanted us to hold on to that physical sense of the nearness of wood. Can we hold the cross of Jesus that close to us? Can we trust in it 
for safe passage. In a week where everyone is wondering when we will get our old lives back, I want to suggest that the ark, and much more than that, that the cross, reminds us that in a truer, deeper sense, there's no old life to get back. If we've trusted our lives to Jesus, then we are on this pilgrimage of hope to a world being remade. And the source of our life and joy in the truest sense is not our ability to leave our homes again. It's not our ability to spend our money or our time however we want. It's not even our ability to go back into our actual church building and sing those hallelujahs together. The source of our life and joy is our relationship with our saving God. It's our participation in his project of new creation. And my hope is that as we experience these Easter tides carrying us right now, that we will cling to the cross. Well, as we enter our time of silence, I want to encourage you with just one practical way of holding on to the cross holding on to Jesus. And that's the Jesus prayer. It's a prayer that is pulled from the words of scripture and that Christians have been praying for centuries and centuries as a way in the midst of feeling helpless to hold on to Christ. It's a prayer that you can pray silently all day long, that you can actually pray with your breath and I feel like prayers like this are especially helpful right now because when I try to conjure something up on my own, I just can't do it. So the the prayer goes like this, and you may have heard it. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you can actually breathe it with your breath. Jesus Christ, breathe in. Son of God, breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in. So as we enter a moment of silence, I would encourage you just to silently practice that prayer as something to hold on to when you feel adrift. <laughs> 